Hi, you're now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. We're happy to bring you sermons like this one every week. You can find other sermons at our site at harvest-community.org. So without further ado, here's our speaker. I, I slept very well. In fact, I slept so well, I actually slept in and <laughs> skipped breakfast. But part of the reason was um, I, I've received such a warm welcome here. Thank you so much for just being so friendly and receptive, not only during last night's uh, message, but even coming up to me and introducing yourself and smiling. But boy, I got to tell you, that welcome or that hospitality pack, I probably ate a breakfast worth and then some just last night. So when I woke up this morning, I wasn't even that hungry. So I've been told that the food here is excellent. So I'm definitely looking forward to lunch and, and dinner. I will make up for any lost ground over lunch and dinner. But um, again, thank you for this opportunity to be here. This really is a privilege, always a privilege to uh, serve God in this way and to be with all of you, particularly at this church. And uh, I've heard that a few more have arrived uh, this morning, so if that's the case for you, welcome, and we're glad you're here. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2. And I'm uh, going to read verses 1 and 2 together. Yep. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. This is the Apostle Paul addressing Timothy, his uh, younger brother and colleague in the ministry. And he says, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Amen. Stop there. Um, I've noticed something interesting happening uh, in my church. Uh, Not anything particularly spiritual, but um, it, it has caught my eye. A few of the men, middle-aged men in my church, have been losing weight. Like, all of, a lot of them at the same time. And as far as I can tell, it started with one guy who went on this strict no-carb diet. I, I forgot what it's called. Um, keto? Keto diet? Yeah, okay. Is that happening here too? I'm not sure. Okay. Keto diet, yeah. I'm, I'm not going to mention who the guy is because I think a good number of you know him. But um, it's been a pretty dramatic weight loss. And I have to say, he looks really good now. And I think a lot of the other men have taken notice, and it's been motivating them. Now, getting motivated is one thing. Staying motivated, if you've ever tried to lose weight, it's tougher. But from what I've seen, I think the awareness that there are other guys who are making the same journey 
has been a big help because I've actually heard some of these men talking with each other about their new eating habits. I had five hard-boiled eggs for breakfast this morning and how they're exercising more and trying to you get to bed earlier, all these, you know, middle-aged men habits, I guess. And I don't know, we'll see how long it lasts, right? It, it is summer after all, but I think there's something about striving for a common goal together that makes it feel a bit more achievable, especially if that goal involves some kind of self-improvement or call it self-renewal, if you will. And I believe the same principle applies for spiritual renewal. It's one thing to want it, but then how we can actually experience that, not just at a weekend event like a retreat, but even after we go home and return to our everyday ordinary lives. I think that's the real question. And I think the answer, or at least a big part of the answer, involves our experience with community, with our fellow brothers and sisters in the church family. Last night, if you weren't here, we considered a crucial first step to experiencing times of refreshing, namely experiencing the spiritual new birth. Okay, we had to be born before we can be refreshed. And I noted that remembering how God made us alive can often be an important first step to experiencing refreshing. Because we can easily forget, like the people of God in the Old Testament, we can easily forget God's faithfulness to us. And which is why very often when we read the Old Testament, we'll see God reminding his people again and again, remember, remember, remember what I've done for you. We easily forget. We easily forget. And so sometimes we need to just... Stop and look back and remember. And I noted three important hallmarks, three important signs that the spiritual rebirth has taken place. Talked about having a new hunger for God and the things of God, especially for his word. I talked about having a new desire to belong, desire to connect, really plugging in with our church family. And I talked about a new assurance, unshakable assurance of the Father's love. That confidence that I'm his child, he's my perfect heavenly father, and nothing can change that. We need to remember when and how we experience these different realities so we can ask God to renew them in our day. Now before I dive into this morning's passage, I feel like I need to make an important qualification. I firmly believe that any true revival, any true work of refreshing, renewal. I believe any true revival begins with a sovereign work of God. He has to pour out his spirit. He has to reawaken us. He has to move in our hearts and rekindle our desire for him. But once this happens, this movement of renewal has to be sustained through a deliberate collaborative effort by his people. And I believe there's a similar kind of divine and human partnership for experiencing times of refreshing, for experiencing any kind of long-term spiritual growth. One passage that I think perfectly captures this, call it synergistic effort between us and God, is from Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Here the Apostle Paul writes, Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only my presence, but now much more my absence, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. 
Now we first see this challenge to work out our salvation. Work out your salvation, he says. And he wants us to take it seriously. He says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So we do have an important part to play here. But having said this, God also has a huge role in any kind of real renewal and growth. He says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So I believe experiencing times of refreshing involves this partnership between us and God. And this morning, I'm going to focus mainly on our role in this partnership. Now, I'd like to suggest that times of refreshing begins with the sovereign work of God. He has to show up. He has to do what only he can do. But then times of refreshing are sustained through deep experiences of community. It begins with the sovereign work of God, but it's sustained through deep experiences of community. And that takes us to our passage that we read this morning. It's only two verses long, so I'm going to read it again. Paul is writing to Timothy, as I mentioned earlier, and he says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. What we see here, especially in verse 2, is what I like to call a chain of influence for growth. A chain of influence for growth. Every chain is made up of individual links that are connected to each other. And we're going to look at different links of this chain of influence for growth that we're going to see in this verse. In particular, three links. We first start off with Paul saying, the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses. Paul begins by describing his relationship with Timothy. The first link in the chain. They were very close. Paul and Timothy first met when Paul was on a missionary journey. The book of Acts tells us the story in chapter 16, verses 1 and 2. And from that point on, Timothy became one of Paul's most trusted friends, trusted colleagues in the ministry. In fact, there are times in the New Testament when Paul describes his relationship with Timothy not just as a working relationship, but as a family relationship. When Paul writes to the Christians in Philippi, for example, he says to them, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show a genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not for those of Jesus Christ. I forgot to write verse 22. Verse 22 says, But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. As a son with a father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. We can just sense here this deep affection and love that Paul feels for Timothy here. And we can assume that Timothy grew tremendously under Paul's guidance and teaching. Our passage this morning talks about Paul teaching Timothy the things you've heard him say. That's the first link in this chain of influence, Paul's personal relationship with Timothy. The second link then follows. The things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people. 
So now we move from Paul's relationship with Timothy to Timothy's relationship with the believers under his ministry. Whatever Paul has passed on to Timothy, now Timothy is to pass on to others in the church. In other words, it's not enough for Timothy just to learn and understand what Paul has taught him. He now has to pass it on. He has to entrust it to reliable people in the church community. That's the second link. There's one more. He says, The things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. And that's the third link. So Timothy isn't just to remember what Paul has taught him. He needs to also teach it to others, but not so that they can just learn it and know it for themselves, but also so that they in turn can pass it down to others. You may have heard the saying that you can tell you really know something when you're able to teach it. Any of our educators, our teachers in this room will know that's true. And I found it to be generally true in my own experience. And I think that's what Paul's getting at here. He's saying to Timothy, remember what I taught you. You should know it so well that you're able to teach it to others. In fact, you should know it so well that you're able to teach it to others until they know it so well, so that they in turn will be able to teach others. And I think we can assume this chain of influence is to keep going, continue on. The people who learn from Timothy are in turn to be able to teach others, who then can in turn teach others, who then in turn can teach others, and on and on and on. The chain continues. Again, my point here is simply that times of refreshing begins with God, but it's carried on through consistent, deep, intentional experiences of community. If we're really serious about experiencing times of refreshing, and we're wondering how that can happen, not just this weekend, but for the weeks to come, then perhaps one of the most important decisions that you can pray about is finding people who can get into your life deep enough to teach you and coach you and invest in you until you're equipped to be able to teach and equip others who can then in turn teach and equip other believers and so on. Or, if you're one of the seasoned veterans here, if you've been going to Harvest for a while and you've been serving in different ways and you've gained the respect of many folks in this community, I know from my own experience in the experience of many of my friends, especially those who've been believers for a while and whose hearts may have gotten a little bit older, that one of the best things we can do for our own personal growth is pouring our lives into another believer, a younger believer. And, you know, I think at first we, we start with the mentality that we're doing the other person a favor. We're going to help them. We're going to take them under our wing. And we're going to spend time with them. We're going to teach them. We're going to nurture them. And we're going to mentor them toward growth. But I've often discovered that as I'm doing that, I I begin to gain just as much, if not more, than anything I could teach or pass on. You know, there are times when I'd be going through a study with a younger believer, and as I'm Going through the study, it would kind of rekindle, reawaken my love for the subject matter. And I'd say to myself, gosh, there was a time when I really used to love learning about this stuff. And it's just been a while. Or I would just see in their faces, in their eyes, this eagerness, this hunger to learn. 
And that eagerness would cause me to look within myself. It would challenge me. It would, it would make me ask myself, how has it been that my own heart has gotten so old? And those few times when I'd see their excitement on their faces as they talk about how God's been working in their lives, how he's been answering their prayers, or how he's been renewing their marriages, or opening doors for them to talk about their faith with their unbelieving friends or family members. But that has a way of refreshing my old soul like few other things can. That's kind of been the case at uh, my church in Naperville at, at RCC at Restoration. Um, we have a bunch of what I call old hats, you know, the seasoned veterans who kind of help start the church and have been working really hard and have been going at it for a while. And I, I can tell they're a little bit weary, you know, a little bit tired. You know, they still show up and give their best because I think they have that work ethic, that mentality. But what's really brought a new energy and vibrance to our community are some of the younger believers who just show up and they're excited. They're, everything's new for them and they are hungry and they have been such a blessing to our community. Now, having said all this, I'm going to share something that I think may already be common knowledge here at Harvest, but it's been a rather recent discovery for me. The kind of community that I'm talking about, that I believe this passage commends to us, the kind of community that I'm talking about goes deeper than your typical Sunday morning experience. I'm a little embarrassed to admit this, but it's taken me a few years of serving in the trenches of local church ministry to come to this realization because so much of my work personally has revolved around preparing sermons or leading meetings or attending to urgent situations that require my immediate and full attention. And you know, I never tell any Christian to not come to Sunday service because obviously it's good for us to come regularly to worship with God's people and hear the proclamation of the word and observe the sacraments with other believers. But I'm now at the point where I can say that Sunday services alone don't provide the opportunity to experience the deep community that I think will really foster the growth, the renewal that we need. Later on today, if I read the schedule correctly, we'll be taking a group photo. That is in the schedule, right? Okay, just want to make sure. So everyone will be there, even the, those of us who are a little shyer, right? Everyone will be there, which means there will be a lot of people, which means the photographer will have to step farther back, maybe use a wide-angle lens to fit everyone in. Which means everyone will look small in the picture, since there are so many people here. We had our own retreat a couple weeks ago, and we did the same thing. We took a group photo. I actually wanted to put a group photo of Harvest on here, but I went on your website, and I downloaded the picture. And I think it was like a small resolution version, because I tried to blow it up, and it looked really pixelated. So um, this is on a smaller scale. Uh, There aren't as many people. But... You know, the nice thing about a large group photo is nobody really looks bad in a large group photo. Um, That's 
that's a good thing. The downside, though, for a large group photo is nobody really stands out either. In fact, it's very hard to distinguish one person from another unless you look really closely. Unless you look really closely, like squinted your eyes, you wouldn't be able to tell that there's a guy in the middle who's making a funny face. You wouldn't be able to tell that there's a woman wearing a covering over her head because she's being treated with chemotherapy. You wouldn't be able to tell that you know, some of them have their eyes closed. It, it's just hard to tell because, um, you know, well, everyone looks small. No one looks bad, but no one really stands out either. In his book called Insourcing, Randy Pope, a pastor in Atlanta, likens a Sunday service to a large group shot. It's important, but by itself, it's not enough to sustain a long-term movement of refreshing. For that to happen, you've got to break out the telephoto lens. You've got to zoom in closer, tighter, which is risky because close-up portraits often can reveal flaws and blemishes that you wouldn't be able to see in a large group photo. Okay, that's why you have great editing software like Lightroom or Photoshop. Okay, let's, let's fix some of that. Yeah, it reveals some of the stuff that you don't see in the in the big group photo. But that risk that you see more, even the not-so-good stuff, that risk is also precisely what makes it so worth it. Because as you're getting closer and as you're getting tighter, that's when authenticity can, can really begin to thrive. Because closer and tighter makes it harder to hide, not just in a photo, but in a community. Closer and tighter, though, also makes it harder to fall through the cracks. When you're up close and personal, the flaws start coming out, and so that does make relationships messy and complicated, but they're also more real. And if you're willing to stick it out, that's when we begin to see true and lasting renewal, refreshing. Now I'll go one step further. Like most other churches, we also have a small group ministry. We call them community groups. And as their name suggests, these groups often go one step further into deeper community because, uh, well, at least our groups, they meet twice a month. And the same participants meet regularly with the same people so they get to know each other a little bit better. And as time goes on, you're able to sh- feel more comfortable about sharing what's going on in your life, you know, the good stuff and sometimes even the not-so-good stuff. And if you feel comfortable enough, sometimes you're able to share even the downright horrible stuff. And most of these gatherings and discussions are centered on topics related to our faith, some kind of Bible study or issue-related discussion that's connected to our faith. But I've also come to realize that even these community groups don't allow us to get close enough, tight enough. What I've come to realize is if we really want to build a sustained season of refreshing, I personally believe we need a Paul and Timothy kind of relationship with some believers that offers deep, 
experiences of community. Talk to any Christian who's experienced a personal renewal that went beyond a weekend event. And I'd be willing to bet that that person will be able to mention some key people who got into their lives, who regularly nurtured and encouraged and even challenged them. And there's probably more than one person because I found that God will use different people in different seasons of our lives to help us grow. But in almost every believer I know who's experienced an ongoing season of renewal, there were usually some key people who took them in, who invested in them, who taught them, and helped keep that fire of renewal burning. They got to know you well. Like, I mean, on a Paul and Timothy kind of well. Like, man, this person feels like family. Closer than family. If you were a new believer at the time, this person may have taught you how to do important spiritual disciplines, like reading your Bible or how to pray. This person probably gave you very important and timely advice about critical life issues. When you had a big decision, you were at a crossroads. This person probably even challenged you at some point, called you out on certain things that you needed to stop doing or made you feel a little bit uncomfortable as he challenged you to step up, to step up your game. This person probably equipped you to become someone who's now ready to teach and lead and guide another believer to take the next step toward maturity. Renewal, revival, times of refreshing, call it what you will, It starts with a sovereign work of God's Spirit rekindling our hearts. But if it's going to have any staying power, it's going to take some deep community. The kind that we see in our passage this morning. I did my uh, undergrad studies at U of I, down in Urbana-Champaign. And uh, I studied history, which has almost no practical usefulness whatsoever. But I was one of those rare... English-speaking Asian-American students who didn't major in something STEM-related. I thought I was good at that, and then my grades told me otherwise. And then so I switched to history, and I found I really enjoyed my classes. I I enjoyed learning about not only what happened, but why did certain things happen. And I remember I found one topic that really fascinated me when I was taking a course on pre-colonial and Revolutionary War America, And it focused on one of the greatest spiritual revivals in England and America called the Great Awakening. To this day, still one of the greatest spiritual revivals in the history of this country. During this revival, there were two men who played a critical role. They were both preachers. They had some key theological disagreements with one another, but they respected each other greatly. One of them was named George Whitfield, and the other was named John Wesley. George Whitfield was known to be the more gifted preacher. When he first traveled from England to America, he started preaching in Philadelphia at a revival meeting. And the story goes that so many people showed up to this revival meeting that the church couldn't hold everyone, so he took it outside. And that soon became the norm for all of his evangelistic gatherings. Okay, they would be outdoors. And there are stories about some of the cities he visited where the crowds were bigger than the population of the entire town. In fact, one of George Whitfield's largest meetings took place in the Boston Common, where an estimated 23,000 people gathered. 
an unheard of number in those days. There's a famous story about how George Whitfield's preaching had a profound effect on Benjamin Franklin. Franklin, as many of us know, was a respected scientist and mathematician and inventor, politician, but as far as we know, he was not a Christian. But in his autobiography, Ben Franklin tells a story about how he went to an outdoor worship meeting to hear George Whitfield preach because he heard he was in town. And during this open-air evangelistic meeting, he quickly realized, I think they're going to collect an offering at the end of this meeting. Shoot. And so he kind of told himself, I'm not going to give anything. I'm not going to give a penny. But the more he listened to George Whitfield's preaching, the more he found himself saying, okay, just the copper. I'll, I'll give the copper coins. And then a bit later, all right, I'll give the silver coins too. And by the time the offering baskets are being passed out, he emptied his pockets completely. Later on, Ben Franklin found that one of his friends, who was also a non-believer, happened to be there. And they were talking afterwards, and, and his friend said, yeah, I suspected there was going to be an offering at the end of this meeting, so I left my money at home. I didn't even bring my money. But by the time the meeting was finished, he turned to the guy next to me and said, hey, man, can I borrow some money? I'll pay you back. Okay. That's how profoundly moved these two non-believers were by George Whitfield's preaching, by his passion as they heard him proclaim the gospel. John Wesley, the other critical figure in this revival, was not known to be as gifted a preacher. Okay? His crowds weren't as big. There weren't any Ben Franklin-type stories about John Wesley, as far as I know. But most historians agree that John Wesley's legacy lasted far longer. His influence went way beyond the Great Awakening. John Wesley, if we don't know, is known as the founder of the Methodist movement. So if any of us attended a Methodist church growing up in your younger days, you've been touched in some way by John Wesley's ministry. And a critical part of John Wesley's ministry philosophy was his belief that revival can't be sustained unless there's good follow-up. And so he created a very systematic organization of small groups that he called societies. And these Methodist societies were further divided into even smaller, more tightly knit groups that would meet regularly to learn together and pray together and encourage one another to sustain this revival movement. I think it's great to have that lightning in a bottle moment where God does what only he can do to bring about times of refreshing. But I believe what we really need is deep community to keep it going. And that's been my prayer for my own church. And that's my prayer for this community here at Harvest. So if I can close with some questions to help us reflect on how we can apply this passage this morning. And I think some of these will be discussed in the small groups as well. If you, first of all, imagine yourself as a Timothy in this passage. The second link in the chain of influence. My question for you is, who have been some of the Pauls in your life? Who are some of the people that God has used to teach you and equip you? And I would say thank God for them. Maybe some of them are here at this retreat. And if that's the case, I want to encourage you to find an opportunity during this retreat to go to that person at some point and thank them personally. 
Um, you know, I remember uh, I had a Sunday school teacher when I was uh, in, in third grade. This was at the uh, you know, large evangelical church in Wheaton that my parents attended and were members of. And um, he was like the most patient man. I, I have all of the respect and love in the world for uh, anyone who serves in children's ministry. My, my wife is our children's ministry director at our church. And um, part of that respect is born from my own experience because I was a terrible kid. I was like so wild and I would not listen. And I was very disruptive. And uh, at this church, it was large enough where the children's ministry was separated by grades. Each grade had their own like large room and then each grade was then broken down into different small groups that you know would meet for for learning and Bible study. And um, my my teacher, bless his soul, was was so patient. But even he couldn't handle it anymore, so he would send me out, you know, just go out there, you know, and then he would call me back. And um, later on, when I was in college and afterwards, I started doing more children's ministry. Uh, the pastor at our church was really gifted with children's ministry, and so he would do these children's revivals, and he would take us along, and I just thought, man, this is so hard. This is so, so hard. And then I thought about my third grade Sunday school teacher. And I felt so bad. And so this was before the days of smartphone technology where you could just look someone up on Facebook. I went to the telephone directory and I tried to see if I could find his last name. And it was there. And I said, that's got to be him. You know, Benorth, last name, and lives in Wheaton. That's got to be him. So I just picked up my phone and I called him. I was like, hey, you may not remember me, but I was in your third grade class, and I just want to thank you for being so patient and for teaching the word um, because um, I was a really terrible kid. I don't know if you remember. Do you remember? And he goes, oh, yeah, I remember you. (laughs) I I remember you for sure. He's like, yeah, you know, actually, uh, thank you so much for the call. you probably weren't aware of this at the time, but I had just become a Christian like six months earlier before they asked me to be a, you know, a Sunday school teacher. And so I didn't know anything. And uh, I, I felt like a lot of you kids knew actually more of the Bible than I did, but I, I tried my best. And I just said, you know, thank you. Thank you so much. And there, there is a happier ending to the story. Uh, he later on uh, ended up separating from his, his wife um, you know, for different reasons, but... He just messaged me out of the blue on Facebook and said, hey, you want to get together? And, and, and we were talking, and we were able to reconnect in person. He was much older. And then a couple of Sundays later, he showed up at our church. He came to our church. And then um, he uh, asked me to officiate his wedding. He got remarried. And um, you know, chain of influence for growth. If there are people in your life that God has used in that way for you, go to them and thank them. If they are here, do it in person. If they're not here, resolve to do it when you go home. Call them, send them an email, send them a text message. Thank God for the Pauls that he has used in your life. And thank the Pauls too. 
Another question I'd like us to consider is, since I believe Sustained Times of Refreshing is a community project, deep community project, maybe for some of us, the question we need to ask is, who is someone who could be a Paul in my life? If God renews your heart at, his, at this retreat, if he does his thing, his sovereign work of rekindling your joy and your hope, are you willing to invite a trusted brother or sister into your life to keep you motivated afterwards? To help you grow? To check in on you? To ask you even uncomfortable questions? Because they care. Are we willing to open our life to these trusted friends so we can take the next step toward maturity in Christ, keeping the renewal going? And since I believe Sustained Times of Refreshing is a community project, maybe a final question we can consider is, if you're Timothy in the chain of influence, the second link, if you're Timothy... Who are some people that you might be able to help grow toward maturity? Who can bring renewal into your own heart as you invest in them? I want to challenge you to consider praying about the possibility that God might be leading you to invest in a younger brother or sister in Christ, passing on to them the things that you've learned from the Pauls in your life. Group shots, good. Sundays are good. Community groups are good. But for sustained times of refreshing, closer, tighter, together. Let me pray for us. Before I pray, I'd like to give us an opportunity just to reflect. On some of the things that were shared. If we feel like the well has dried up, our hearts have gotten old. I wonder if one reason is because we have kind of drawn some boundaries. We've built up some fences in our hearts that prevent us from getting closer and tighter. With our Christian family here. And maybe there are reasons why. Maybe you've been wounded or you felt betrayed. Maybe you're the one who's caused the hurt and you know it, but you've just found it too difficult to go to that person and ask for forgiveness or admit that you messed up. And then time passes on and we kind of forget and another layer builds.
we can continue operating in that way, but we'll just be settling for the wide-angle group shot, spiritual wide-angle group shot, week in, week out. And in my view, there's very little hope for sustained renewal. If we really want to reconnect with God, if we really want to experience times of refreshing, not just while we're here, but even after we go home, can I invite us to pray, seriously pray that God will open our hearts and renew our desire, not only for Him, but for deep, close, tight relationships with other believers. There is risk, of course, huge risk, but so worth it. So worth it if we're willing to stick it out. you're praying about that God may start bringing people specific people into your mind faces maybe some of these people are the Pauls in your life that he has used maybe it's someone that he's using right now maybe it's someone from your distant past whatever the case may be thank God for them or maybe the people that God's bringing in your mind brothers and sisters that he may want you to begin to spend more time with not only for their benefit but for our own benefit and if that's the case then just pray that God in his time will open the doors minutes to pray through some of that and then I'll close us in prayer and then go to our small groups. Lord, we continue to pray that you will do what only you can do. That you would reawaken us. That you would rekindle our joy in you. That you would renew our hope that you would break through some of the layers that have built up in some of our old, weary hearts and help us to rediscover the joy of salvation, the joy of the new birth, to remember your great works on our behalf. Father, I pray for sustained times of refreshing, a movement that will last beyond this weekend, that will continue to build And Lord, I pray for this community here at Harvest. Lord, for opportunities to connect deeply with one another, to grow tighter and closer. Father, I pray that you would repair any relationships that have been strained or even broken, that you would do that mighty work, that powerful work. And uh, Lord, we pray that you will 
uh, continue to raise up Paul's and Timothy's, this chain of influence to get deeper and tighter with one another, to have deep community so that we can encourage one another, challenge one another, grow together as you continue to renew us, your people. Thank you again for this time. It's in Christ's name we pray. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.